Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Tech Connect Podcast. I'm John Martin. And I'm Dean Reverman. Dean, um, as this podcast has come out, uh, and about a week after I think we're recording this, yep. we have hit about a year since Blue Star changed Unbelievable. Up their operations entirely mm-hmm. since, let's be honest, most of the world yep. changed pretty dramatically. Yes, yeah, sir. It was about mid-March in 2020 that yep. things really started shifting. Businesses had to figure out what to do next. Mm-hmm. Uh, the pandemic was beginning to spread rapidly uh, across the U.S. and yep. the globe in general. and. You know, it's, it's, you know, we've hit some very somber milestones along mm-hmm. the way, uh, but mm-hmm. we've also learned a lot. Yeah. Uh, and especially, I'm sure, in the world of healthcare yes, more sir. than anywhere else. Oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, we talked about this a few times, I think, oh my over gosh, the last yeah. year. We've mentioned several times, necessity, the mother of invention. Yep. Again, not now a necessity. Now we're all experts on virus. Yeah. Now we're all experts on you know, blah, blah, blah. Not one we wanted and not no. ways that we wanted to learn new things, but a lot of cool, interesting stuff has happened that we have learned and a lot of uh, new technology and new innovations have come out of this. I would agree. So that's kind of going to be our topic today. We're going to yeah. talk about uh, kind of what has COVID taught us about healthcare technology mm-hmm. over the mm-hmm. last year, what's changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have uh, Mike DeLibro with us from Agilant. He's going to be a, a great guest to talk a little bit of us through this particular Absolutely. topic. Uh, so we're going to get into things like, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about Agilant and how they've kind of approached this whole yep. cycle, what changed for them over the last year. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about some of the challenges and pivots and surprises over the last year, mm-hmm. what technology is breaking through that maybe wasn't before, you know, yep. that was been out there, but necessarily wasn't really breaking through. Yep. And also kind of maybe predict a little bit of what's next on the horizon. Oh, the crystal ball again. That's we're right. Bring, yeah, we, we always got to break that, that out. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. We need to go back and listen to some old episodes and find out <laughs> if we were right about anything or if we just no. like them and go, no, we were idiots. Yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. So, <laughs> so all that plus our usual value to the VAR and what's tech connecting with us. It's time to plug in and get connected. <laughs> Welcome to the Tech Connect Podcast. It's time to get connected. All right. As I mentioned, our guest today, Mike DeLibro, is the Director of Healthcare Sales for Agilent. Uh, Mike, thank you so much for being on the show today. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, how did you get to where you are? How long have you been with Agilent? Uh, thank you. Great to be here. I've been with Agilent for about nine months now. Uh, I've been in the IT, healthcare, state and local government space for about 20 years. Um, and, uh, you know, my charge here at Agilent is to uh, grow our healthcare uh, footprint. Uh, we've really I came on, we already had a, a solid base of, of accounts, uh, but over the last nine months, we've been working to onboard, um, best in class solutions, uh, to go to market to, uh, to our clients and prospects. Well, then, you know, let's talk about that and let's talk about Agilent in the world of healthcare. Um, you know, what is, what is your approach to that space? I'm obviously things changed a lot in the last year. Maybe you can talk a little bit about some of that pivot too, but more importantly, like what, you know, what do you think about when you're approaching healthcare? I know it can be a bit daunting and intimidating for for a lot of people. It's you know kind of can be a little slow moving for you is what you hear, mm-hmm. and, uh, and and you know maybe a little resistant to change mm-hmm. sometimes. So what what is it like for you? Well, I think it's um, you know everything is kind of it's been a major shift in terms of how we organizationally operate. Every, most most everybody being virtual, uh, and it's uh, in our our current account base being virtual um, for the most part. The only people that have remained on site at hospitals are those people that service uh, service the end user community at the hospitals or our clinicians uh, for safety reasons. Uh, 
the rest of the, the healthcare uh, employees have gone to a remote setting. So those folks who work in infrastructure and administration, um, those are no longer uh, people that are on site. So the challenges that we've had is going to market and making sure we, we're, we're still continuing to, uh, you know, make ourselves available to those, to that population uh, and working with the clinical folks uh, at hospitals to see uh, what technologies we can apply to uh, help their combating COVID-19. And most of the solutions are around clinical endpoints and, and uh, infection control. Yeah, interesting that the the people aren't, you know, you don't have as many office workers in the healthcare setting anymore, right? So mm -hmm. from a sales perspective, you need to get in front of those stakeholders from time to time to develop the solution, make sure you're having the right solution. So uh, has that been a challenge, Mike? I mean, you know, trying to get in front of all the stakeholders because we all are, we've been talking a lot about how technology is just, you know, just certain technologies, you're stepping on the gas, trying to implement them as quickly as you possibly can, especially in this pandemic. So what the, what's that been like uh, in the healthcare environment? Uh, it is a challenge uh, for a certain set of, uh, you know, stakeholders that you usually would all be in a room with and be able to, it's great. I think we've all adapted to these virtual mm. Zoom teams meetings, uh, but I would be lying to you to say it's not the same level of interaction and same kind of uh, uh, bonding event. So, um, if you've got an already established customer and you've known them for years, there's man, it's understanding. It's understandable. But if you've got prospects that you're just getting to know and they're just going to know you, it, you have to work a little harder to build the, that foundation. Uh, you just need, need to keep keep plugging away, and um, certainly around the, the the clinicians and working with the departmental heads, we still have that opportunity to go into hospitals to understand what the workflow is, what to stand, what the what the goal or challenge that the, this particular solution is going to remediate. Uh, so you, you, you still have that opportunity, but uh, in areas such as data center, um, that can be a, a real challenge to get those, uh, you know, those meetings and get in and speak to those folks. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I can't imagine that it's, I mean, you know, again, it can be difficult to get all the right people together under ideal circumstances and situations, you know, especially mm -hmm. if you have a lot of people coming together to make a decision. And again, in healthcare, I know a lot of different people probably have to weigh in on things. You know, we're working predominantly maybe on the, the IT side of things and we need them to be there. But you also want the people that are using technology day to day. Mm -hmm. You want the, the folks at the manager and director level. You've got, you know, high, uh, upper level executives that probably want to weigh in. So. Yeah, kudos to you for for holding it together and and, and keeping at it over the last year and, and you know just understanding how this world works and now. compounded by the fact that you there's the need for technology solutions unlike there has right. been very especially in health yeah. Yeah. yeah in a very very urgent way so it's like you want to you want to help make the best solution but sometimes not all the stakeholders around that's yeah. got to be a challenge no doubt so you know let's talk about agilent a little bit and the way you approach um, you know your value add proposition you know it's obviously a big part of our particular channel is this idea of being a value add mm -hmm. so you know maybe without giving away too much of, of what you do that's special you know, to the to uh, any listeners, but you know, what do you? How do you define value add when it comes to working with customers, and especially in the healthcare space? Yeah, I mean, as as people who sell, you, you know, your 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 goal is to sell something, right? Whether it's a SKU, a product, a service, you know, that's what we do. But um, having the making the effort to understand more deeply the solution, the technology, uh, beyond just a basic level of what a particular product does. Uh, gives you the ability to distinguish yourself 
from your competition. Uh, but at the same time, you've got to work very closely with the manufacturers, communicate with them where, wherever you are in projects. Because most, in most situations, resellers are leading uh, in the project. So the, the manufacturer community depends on you for updates uh, on, on you know, where we are in, the, in, the, in, the, in the terms of milestones to closing business, to deploying uh, products and, and solutions. So you've got to just over communicate to your clients. Uh, make sure you're you're doing the research. If they're asking you to be a, uh, we always want to be a consultant. Uh, we don't want to be a just a someone who sells you know, sells them. We want to always take that consultative approach. And when it comes to you know up deploying the products that I that Agilent deploys, you know we take the time to do site surveys, walkthroughs, uh, really understand how this technology these technologies are being implemented, not just sell them. And that's that's the differentiator. Mike, let's go a little bit deeper on the vendor communications because John and I have talked about this and we've had other guests on when we talk about the importance of having for resellers to have really good relationships with their vendors. And you were touching on on the vendor communication. Obviously, there's the need for the, the communication back to the vendor. Here's the status, things like that. But but talk to us a little bit about, you know, how you work with vendors and the relationships you try to deal or develop with, you know, their vendor reps, their DCAMs and stuff like that. Do you, you put a priority around that and and what are some absolutely of, yeah absolutely yeah. Dean to be successful it's a, one of the keys to the kingdom you've got to develop and invest in making those relationships really solid uh, and it's not just the manufacturer relationships the the distributors such as Blue Star working with those named product champions within Blue Star to just have that whole you know ecosystem and good communication. Um, we're not just, we just don't want to wait for business to come to us. We want to go out and do some demand generation, see where we can uncover, jointly uncover opportunities um, where, where none existed. So it's very important to just have a consistent cadence with the manufacturer community, let them know what you're working on and that you are evangelizing and positioning their products. Absolutely. Because when you think about the value add to the customer, mm -hmm. I mean, when you as a reseller are walking in the door and you are arm in arm with the vendor. And mm -hmm. I mean, you guys are that well integrated and, and you're working on each other's behalf. Man, that just that puts a nice front in front of wh whoever the decision maker is on the other side that, hey, these guys are obviously in cahoots. Well, not in cahoots, <laughs> but they're, they're obviously strategically aligned. Right. Yes, maybe it doesn't have to be too. a bad word. It doesn't yeah. necessarily, <laughs> but they're strategically aligned and there's a lot of value to that, right. right? When you're trying to add the value of the solution to it, the more lockstep you are, uh, to me, the better. I yeah. mean, it, right. There's, there's a way different ways you could perceive that but man i'm telling you that's a real advantage yeah. when it comes through mm. and mike i like the way you framed uh, the idea of over communicate and it's one of those things that mm -hmm. as a marketing person sometimes you hear that and go oh that's not something we're supposed to do right like <laughs> it's a little scary but at the same time i i imagine this is kind of the way you're thinking about this that and i know healthcare is one of these industries especially where you you can't expect every communication you put out there to be focused and read and mm -hmm. time put in you don't know what's happening and especially again if I think over the last year, anybody in healthcare has got to be just just strung to the thinnest point they can possibly get to, right? And to expect them to have the time to sit down and read some email that you sent, or review some video, or look over some proposal, it, it's just not you know it's not something you could expect of them even in at the best of times, yep. especially then over the last year. Mm -hmm. So I like the idea, and, and kind of what I'm thinking there, and I, and I imagine it's where you're going too, is this idea that hey. 
it's keeping in touch. It's constant communication. It's letting them know, like, hey, we're here for you. Maybe what I sent last week to you or referenced last week to you went over your head because you were too busy, but I want to get back around to it. I'm coming back and letting you know about this, about that. Here's something interesting I just came across the other day I think you might be interested in. Is that kind of what you meant by that idea of over-communication? Yeah, not over-communicating in, uh, in an unproductive way or right. you know a bothersome way, but just making sure that uh, you know the, what we're trying to position and we think may add value as you go through um, COVID-19 challenges, you know, could be now COVID vaccinations uh, sites uh, and the, the equipment needed to to outfit these uh, pop-up COVID vaccination sites. So give me some thought to what would be front of mind to the healthcare workers and the IT people in, in hospitals to allow them to best do their job. Absolutely. And see, that's why I think, you know, companies like Agilent are so well positioned that they are in lockstep with with certain vendors that they they've developed the relationships when the time comes for the healthcare entity to need that pop up vaccination or whatever it was when we're, when we're back doing pop up testing, which we're still doing to today. It is so nice for them to be able to have a relationship already with a reseller that knows what to do right. and can really expedite the, the solution garnering an adaptation and execution across yeah. the board. And I mean, if they've only heard from you just once or twice. Right. Exactly. You're not the person they're going to think of mm -mm. when they think, oh, I've got a need suddenly. If mm -mm. you're that person, they've heard them on a regular basis, regardless of whether you're doing any business with them whatsoever. Mm -hmm. That was always something I found important in sales is, hey, there's going to be times that I'm going to communicate with people that are going to want nothing to do with me or not be buying anything from me. But that mm -hmm. doesn't mean that I can't still have a relationship and we can't still be talking, yeah. even if they're not, you know, handing me a PO or, you know, right. giving me their credit card or whatever to buy something. Absolutely. Because, again, that that pays off in the long term. So sure. at that point, they reach where they go, man, we're suddenly ramping up all this testing. We need a bunch of mobile devices. Yep. We know. Who do we know. go to? Yeah. Who guy? do we go to? Hey, yeah. I'm going to go to Mike because Mike yep. has been in touch every, mm -hmm. you know, almost every week for the last, you know, several months, even mm -hmm. when we couldn't even do anything with him. I know he's there. I know he knows what he's doing. So, yeah. So, yep. well, Mike, let's kind of shift here a little bit and talk about um, this past year, obviously. Again, this, you know, our, our topic today is kind of this idea of, you know, what has this pandemic taught us about healthcare technology? So I kind of want your perspective from that VAR perspective of what did you learn in the world of healthcare in the last year? What are some of the challenges that, that you came across? Obviously, we mentioned this idea of not being able to get in front of your customers is a big one. Uh, you know, where did you find yourself pivoting? What surprises popped up over this time? Well, I, well, first and foremost, we know now that healthcare, technology in healthcare is not going to ever go away. Um, in, in certain pockets of healthcare, they were very resistant to going to electronic medical records, you know, telehealth, uh, which has been around for a long time, but now was basically forced on us uh, and, and went well. Uh, you know, you look at the statistics around uh, telehealth visits, uh, they jumped exponentially and the patient experience was very positive uh, rather than waiting in a uh, in a in a waiting room and then getting called up and then waiting in a in an exam room, you know, you, you got to sit in the comfort of your own home uh, waiting for a virtual session to start. Uh, in terms of uh, you know the the need associated with COVID, anything around the clinical endpoint, mobility solutions, medication carts, documentation carts, uh, antimicrobial um, solutions, um, and there are a couple of really very strong products in that space. Uh, um, we've been doing a lot of work with ELO and uh, LifeMed MD. We think of their best of breed uh, complementary solutions. Uh, so we're putting a lot of focus around uh, kiosk uh, settings, uh, you know, 
uh, contactless patient registration. And we see that that's going to be an area of, uh, of real attention for the uh, healthcare community going forward. Uh, I don't think we're going to see a pullback in, the, in that kind of um, in that kind of space. Well, we hit a lot of good ones there that we've talked mm. about uh, in, in the past as well. Going back to the the whole telehealth thing, and I know you got some statistics on this as well, John. But I, do, yeah. I was reading the one, and I'll just read it. In April, forty four percent of Medicare, so this is government Medicare primary ca- care visits done via telehealth were less than one percent. So mm. this is back. Uh, I'm sorry, this is back in February of last year. Less than 1%. Now, just go for just a little bit in April, from February to April of last year. Now, it's 44% of Medicare visits were telehealth. Right. Uh, so, I mean, just an explosion on the telehealth side that, that really was just dramatic yeah. uh, to your point. Yeah, and a couple other notes that I had about that. This is an article from uh, health.com. Um, there was a chief medical officer uh, from a software company called Dr. First that said, the quote I like to cite is that we advanced 10 years in telehealth progress in the course of 10 weeks. <laughs> and it's pretty accurate. Uh, and then someone else noted uh, a 2020 report from the Healthcare Network Doximity uh, estimated that 20% of all medical visits last year were conducted via phone or video, which honestly still even seems a little bit lower than it, than it could yeah, have been. Yeah. But I also know, you know, there was a bit of a decline in visits as well. I mean, I haven't actually in person seen my, right. you know, practitioner, right. uh, you know, in over a year now, yeah. you know. And, and again, the idea is like, well, if I don't need to, I'm not going to. Right. I'm going to do that telehealth. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what did that what did that mean for you then, um, you know? What kind of questions were you getting from your, your healthcare customers about telehealth, about the needs there, about purpose-built devices? Obviously, that's been a big one that, hey— we got to have devices that we can disinfect and clean, not just, you know, standard cleaning, but legitimately use disinfectant on in order to make sure that there's no transmission. Like what, what was happening in your world? You know, like, and how did that escalate? Yeah. I think just to make sure that they go and, and put together solutions that are, again, antimicrobial uh, with, with equipment that can be uh, completely sanitized, do what they call terminal cleans on them. Uh, so that they're safe for reuse and, and, and as you recycle through the, the the number of patients that they see in those in those environments and um, it, it it's just it's just pervasive now so you're you're going to continue to see this um, I think I, really from a carrying telehealth forward the only thing that really may impact uh, telehealth is a shift in the providers if the if they're the, the payers really. Mm-hmm. If they're right now, they think they waived all co-pays during the, the, the throes of of the pandemic initially. And if that if the what, what guides a lot of healthcare uh, delivery is how the how the payer system works. So if they, there's a if they continue to uh, pay um, clinicians on uh, telehealth like they do in a regular visit, uh, then it's going to continue to be moved forward. If they they kind of reduce that 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 system to not pay at the same scale that may affect clinicians and how they how they continue to administer telehealth that's a really good point mike mm-hmm. there's always the payee there's always the insurance company you know about the the monster behind the scenes or whatnot that's, that's pulling <laughs> the levers but you know honestly from a societal standpoint i don't i don't see us going back i mean there's yeah. going to be so much demand on the user side to have this kind of telehealth and and augmented i, I think that there's additional opportunities out there that okay the telehealth is one thing but in order to do a proper doctor visit i mean you still need some other technologies mm-hmm. as well like 
whatever heart monitoring listen to your lungs right you know just some basic stuff that maybe it's a kid or something like that that is sent to the home that you know your doctors visit but but the efficiencies that come out i know we're kind of drilling in here on telehealth but the, just the efficiencies alone of not having to from a person's standpoint i don't have to get in my car travel a half an hour to the doctor's office sit in the waiting room for x amount of time you know it's it's, it's we all know it's like a two three hour process right. minimum to right. go visit your doctor where is it telehealth oh i just log on to Yep. And a lot more efficient uh, and get stuff done. So I, uh, I don't know. I think the pressure is going to keep coming yeah. from our side and really kind of force the insurance companies. But your point's valid, Mike. Don't know what they're going to compensate, you know, for that. If is it a different scale? Is it the same scale? Whatnot? Right. Guess we'll see. I think with my doctor, like an e visit is like five bucks more, five or ten dollars more than a copay for an in person visit. Yeah. Which I feel like kind of should be the other way around, but you know, I, I right? guess I get it. They're putting I, a premium on it. Right. Is what they're they doing. are. But here's yeah. the thing, though. I also I also think of that and what you just said and think, you know what? The people are the ones that technically sort of have the power here. I mean, in a long term sense, we're the ones that have the power that will move this. Yeah. And I'm I'm hoping that, you know, enough of us got comfortable with this new way of doing things and this idea of, hey, I, as you mentioned early on, I don't have to go sit in a waiting room. I don't have to be around a bunch of other sick people. I don't have to get called back. I don't have to sit in that room for another 20, 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, have a nurse come in and then the doctor come in, you know, and a, you know, a visit that that on telehealth could could maybe be 20 minutes at most is a two-hour ordeal just to get to your doctor. 20 minutes? Back. It's even better than that. Not even that, that yeah. Uh, yeah, because well, so my, do- my youngest daughter, uh, Tori, we thought that she might, you know, she had the sniffles the other day, and so we're like, okay, do we get her tested? And right, so, yeah, right. blah, blah, blah. We did. We did the rapid test. But when we called up to, to, to do that, within five minutes, we had a doctor telehealthing with us and she's doing the old ah you know say on into the camera and and it's like with and and literally it took five minutes to assess her situation and all that i'm like how would we go away from that that was so convenient exactly so well done anyway i I imagine the seniors uh the senior community multiple visits per day and just the strain it takes on and the quality of life gets affected for senior citizens who have four or five doctor's appointments a week. Yeah, That's a really good point, Mike. Yeah. yeah. Telehealth is here now, whereas automated cars to get seniors. <laughs> <laughs> so their doctor, you know, the, the driver list, that's, that's let's, years yeah, down Yeah, let's the focus road. on the here and now what we can do and not have to worry about that. Hey, yeah, Mike, so. let's talk a little bit more about mobility. You touched on it a little bit. That has to be an area in, in healthcare that has really dramatically changed here, right? I mean, of course, we've touched on maybe some of the easy ones, the mobility needed for these pop-up testing pop-up vaccination sites as well but but mobility is really starting to take a hold in healthcare in general right from the cart from the nursing station Uh, just talk to us a little bit about what you see going on there from a mobility standpoint well it's it's very successful way of um of improving workflow Mm -hmm. uh, uh, patient workflow gaining efficiencies at a point of capturing copay uh, I had a, uh, a proof of concept at a, a city hospital last year where they used the mobile mobile carts to go out into the patient uh, emergency department areas so they could just start taking doing documentation as the as uh, the people were waiting. Uh, not only did it help you know the amount of patients that the ED could receive in a in a in a, in a shift, but it also captured you know one hundred seventy thousand dollars more of copays. That they would from the previous that they got from the previous month. It was a really effective way of generating or capturing revenue for the healthcare uh, institution 
but also improving the workflow. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Definitely. And I mean, we've seen it in other industries. And as you were talking, Mike, I'm thinking to myself, you know, we all know that a lot of money is going into healthcare. It already was. What what percentage of our GDP is healthcare? Oh, it's, it's ridiculous. ridiculous. Yeah. Whatever. And, it's only and the rest of the world more. looks at us and goes, really? Really? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But so there's a lot of money, a lot of technology that happens in there. Even if you're a reseller that doesn't play in healthcare. I would I would have an eye what's going on in healthcare because you know that whatever is happening there is probably going to make its way mm-hmm. into other verticals, other yeah uh, markets as well. Whether it's mobility, whether it's tele not in this case telehealth, but tele whatever. Mm-hmm. Like why would I go see an accountant if the, if I had them do my taxes? We can just you know converse right, on right. Uh, via the video phone or you name the service. You know I think a lot of those, but those folks even need purpose built devices right. which obviously plays into our hand and what, and what we do uh, here at Blue Star and well, our, our know, resellers do. If you tell me that the next iteration of the iPhone or whatever mm-hmm. could be disinfectant ready, I'd buy that. Yeah, right? Why not? I mean, it's something that's useful for me as a mm-hmm. consumer, as just an everyday person. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's a there's a critical importance in healthcare, mm-hmm. but that's the kind of stuff that could easily translate over to. And and we've again we've seen that translate over to industries too. You know, there's there's been a push to talk to people in warehousing and in distribution and manufacturing. Oh yeah, they're sharing devices. And again, yeah, you, you want something that you can easily wipe down and be clean and sanitary. So when the next person takes it, you know, there's no concern about transmission that way. Yep, absolutely. So, you know, I think kind of in the sense, you know, we talk a lot. Of We've talked before about how, you know, the military and government sometimes can be a good proving ground for a lot of technology that eventually makes its way into the general populace. Mm-hmm. I think healthcare qualifies in that too. Mm-hmm. That there's definitely a you know a nice stomping ground to start there where you you try out some stuff that's a critical need in healthcare and you find mm-hmm. out hey there's applications across dozens of industries and maybe even in personal consumer world eventually mm-hmm. too. Yep, uh, couldn't so. agree more. Hey Mike, I want to to go off a, a little bit of a tangent here, not too much of a curveball. I hope for you because I was noticing that Agilent does a really good job at as a service and providing as a service, you know, anything to to your customer base. Are you seeing that in healthcare? Is there a, is there more of a uh, uh, of an appetite for healthcare entities to embrace kind of an as a service, whether it's device as a service or something along those lines where you can actually sell them that type of a solution. Is there, are they starting to embrace that a little bit more now? Absolutely. Yeah. There is a device as device as a service is something that we're, 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 we're all kind of doing now with our cell phones. Uh, it's, it's really, so the, a lot of the endpoint manufacturers, HP, Lenovo, they're starting to come up with programs. They have come up with programs, but now they're getting a lot more attention about doing a device as a service. You know, an X amount of dollars monthly um, uh, over a, a three-year period will get you a um, your your device, your Lenovo, with certain specs. And and if you need a replacement, and basically they control the whole lifecycle management of that device. Mm-hmm. So I do believe that that is certainly. Um, uh, something we do at Agilent, we do a lot with managed services. Uh, we've got about 7 million devices under managed services contract. So uh, certainly, you know, doing a device at a service, we come up with some customized programs uh, beyond what the manufacturers order uh, offer to uh, give you a device as a service. Yeah, and is that so it's becoming an easier sale is what you're saying. You know, there's, no, there's maybe not that barrier that you were facing even five years ago as on this whole as a service model. Right. Uh, people are starting to nod their heads a little bit more. Yeah, we see the value in having you manage the life cycle of XYZ's devices. Uh, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Dean. And what it does also is shift that capital budget over to an operational budget, which usually it's a little bit of an easier point of entry for for organizations to to shift their their budgets to an operational setting. 
Yeah. And are you guys starting to develop even more tech stack on top of that? So you got the device management, but also, you know, I was noticing you're starting to help your customers out with workflow optimization, supply chain optimization, things like that. So not just the device, but even starting to get into some of the workflow and, and, and stacking, uh, you know, solutions and software on top of that, correct? Oh, absolutely. What it comes down to is adding value. Yep. So you go. not just selling one product, but selling a, a solution that that services and you know kind of an end-to-end offering so yeah absolutely that's a that's always a goal for us not to just you know be tactical but be more strategic with our with our clients i'm glad you said it because we talk about it all we the do. time yep. it's so great to hear a reseller say yep <laughs> <laughs> that is the well, path I, to success i think i mean we brought this up i think just a couple weeks ago maybe where we, the idea that you you're not going to survive in this channel and in this world if you're just a straight up i've got stuff that i resell right i mean you know Yes, the, you know, the Amazon type companies of the world, the, you know, the ones that just throw up a website and sell you some stuff. That's great. Mm -hmm. And that's fine for a very certain type of person who maybe is very tech savvy and self-starter type person. Mm -hmm. But in general, I think if you're going to survive in this industry and you want to, you know, you want to grow your business and gain more customers, you've got to be willing to sell a full solution where they can rely on you for more than just a piece of hardware that you hand over and yeah. say bye-bye. You yeah. know, it's just not yeah. the same anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Mike, you know, let's let's kind of talk about what's next here. Um, mm-hmm. I, I know you have a lot of great partnerships. Um, you know, Elo, obviously, as he recommended you to us. Uh, you mentioned LifeMed ID earlier. I've actually done a little bit of work with them lately about, uh, you know, I know they're strong in visitor management. And, and obviously, that's one of those things that people are talking about for one reason right now, but it has an extremely useful application beyond a pandemic as well. So, you know, tell us what are some of the things that are happening next in this industry that you're seeing that maybe haven't quite got there yet or started to take hold? You know, are there any interesting challenges on the horizon? What's what's happening in healthcare to come? Well, I, I think, again, yes, uh, LifeMed ID has been a tremendous partner. Uh, just as a backtrack, you know, as you, you want to get your cell phone protected, uh, you recently onboarded SealShield as an antimicrobial uh, solution. They've got screen covers for your cell phone. So I would encourage you to reach out to your, whoever is managing that relationship and get you guys some some, some antimicrobial screen protectors for your cell phone. Uh, <laughs> shameless plug. Uh, but I I think that that's just a continuation of developing um, and, and refining the telehealth solutions, you know, and, and how do you make it truly contactless now? Um, because people sometimes may be afraid to, to, to touch the screen to answer the COVID-19 survey. So how do we address that? And we, maybe we come up with a QR code where you can just scan it as you would if you were, uh, recently have been out to a restaurant to scan a QR code to get a menu. So just as constantly evolving um, products in and around telehealth that will you know, streamline that process even further is what I look forward to. Uh, we're always on the lookout for new technologies and um, you know certainly Blue Star has been a big help in getting us exposed to those technologies. Yeah, it seems like those are the ones that are that are kind of at the top, top of the heap mm-hmm. right now as far as a lot of interest, a lot of need around telehealth. You know, we've kind of touched on them all, I guess. Telehealth, lots of opportunity there, lots of still unmined, you know, opportunity as, as it relates to that. Mobility going to continue to be a pressure point, the need to be mobile. Uh, kiosks, I like you, you mentioned that we didn't talk a lot about that, but the whole contactless nature, uh, you know, that, that, that continues on. And, and even when you do go in for the doctor, 
doctor visits or or what have you, and you have to go on site. Uh, the more contactless that is, or kiosk driven that is, that's going to be a way of the future as well too. So lots on the horizon there. Yeah, I think so. I think there's a uh, there's always there's always room to grow. I think in healthcare, and I feel like there's always going to be a constant new needs to pop up. Again, I hope that we don't have quite the needs <laughs> that we've had, <laughs> or the reason why, or the reason, yeah, right. over this past year. But there will be stuff that obviously excels and moves us into the future. So, yeah, totally. uh, well, Mike, thank you so much for this conversation. Before we uh, transition over to our uh, our recurring segments, I mm-hmm. do want to, as always, thank our founding members. Of course, Elo is one of them. They recommended Mike and Agilent to us to speak with, as well as uh, Epson, Honeywell, and Zebra. We very much appreciate. Uh, uh, your sponsorship uh, of our podcast. Uh, hey, if you uh, if you want to connect with us, a um, couple different ways you can do it. First of all, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, give us a five star rating and review. We just might read those on the air. It's a great way to help uh, drive some uh, listeners to our show. Uh, if you're on YouTube right now watching us, hit that like button. Uh, leave us a comment. Tell us what you think of the episode. Uh, and um, as always, you can always reach out to us uh, on Twitter at TechConnectPod or email us TechConnect at BlueStarInc.com. All right, let's wrap things up with our recurring segments. The first is value to the VAR. Now, typically, you know, we're doing this with some folks right. who aren't necessarily VARs <laughs> themselves. So we're asking them to give us a little bit of wrap of our conversation and some tips that we can hand to our VAR audience. But since, you know, Agilent itself is a VAR, you know, we kind of wanted to, to ask you maybe for some tips, some advice, some best practices that you have for, for working in the channel and working with healthcare in particular. Obviously, don't expect you to give away the secret sauce. But, you know, if, if, you, were, if you were starting a new a, a new reseller today or maybe you were just thinking about breaking into healthcare you've been in other industries what are some tips and recommendations you might have uh well i hope i get in trouble with my boss but uh i, I would say that you want to look for areas uh of penetration that are non-traditional uh you were so so everybody sells pcs everybody sells a printer or kind of commodity items so look so look for those products that will really allow you to differentiate yourself from the competition. Uh, second, you know, work in the healthcare space specifically with you know, department heads. Uh, again, non-traditional. Most people stick with procurement and and some you know some IT titles to, to go to market to. But certainly, there's a great opportunity to speak with the department heads like radiology, oncology, and, and understand what their needs are and where your offerings can play into to fulfilling those needs. And then lastly, the channel, again, as I mentioned, the key to a king, keys of the kingdom, working with the manufacturer community and the channel to uh, make sure that you're always uh, letting them know that you're there to work and, and offer up their products and you know how to demonstrate that you know how to properly position their, their, what they're selling. Uh, and that, and if, they do, if you do that effectively, uh, you're going to get their commitment to you know, help you to get exposed to new opportunities. Bingo, that was yep. mine. You know, I was going to yeah. harken back to earlier in the conversation. Vendor relations, key, key for developing business. The stronger that that is, the better off that you're all, mm. you're going to be. You're going to be tapped in also, by the way, to things that they're working on. And, and you can be first to market with some of those solutions. That is so awesome when you can say, you know, with authority, oh, by the way, you know, we happen to work with this manufacturer and they're working on XYZ and it's coming to market. What better reason to get in, again, you, when you're always looking for ways to get in front of your customers customers when you're in sales. It's a great way to do it. So vendor relations, don't forget about the software relations as well. We didn't talk a lot about the software partners, but they're also key. Another takeaway that I have from today, though, John, is 
evolving tech stack. So when, you know, I was thinking about telemedicine, sure, it's there. But as we talked about, even that is going to evolve mm-hmm. and there's more technology going to be wrapped around that. It just it just reminds me of the fact that you have to be tapped into how your tech stack, whatever you're offering in, in the peripherals around that continue to evolve. There's additional opportunities that can come out of your core. Got to be tapped into what's going on there. Yeah, definitely. You know, and I think also beyond what we we were just talking about earlier, this idea of what we've discussed before of understanding that solution selling is the way of the future. Mm-hmm. It's also kind of to your point, realizing like, hey, there's going to be places you're going to have to expand, and it's going to expand your comfort zone. It's going to get into maybe areas of technology and innovation that you're not overly right. familiar with yet. Yeah. So, you know, my opinion there is always to to constantly be learning constantly be reading up on what's going on you know if 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 something comes along and you're thinking like yeah that's that's not even something that's ever going to happen mm-hmm. it doesn't hurt to go down that rabbit hole and just read up about it and mm-hmm. find out what's going on because the innovations that you think are 30 40 years down the road could mm-hmm. suddenly be tomorrow's before you know it and again i feel like that's something we probably learned over the last year you know oh 100 you, you talked early on about how people necessarily didn't want to uh, they weren't ready for that shift to EMRs mm-hmm. yet. It's been such a slow crawl to get to that. And, I th- and there's still a long, slow crawl ahead of us, I think, to getting to some kind of like universal healthcare records mm-hmm. where it's it's easy to jump from one provider to another mm-hmm. and have your healthcare record follow you without having to follow, you know, fill out a bunch of paperwork mm-hmm. again, uh, without having to tell someone different the exact same story of your medical life that you just had to tell someone else a few weeks ago. <laughs> You know, I, yeah. we're on this slow crawl of this stuff, and I think if yeah, if you're going to play in this space, understand that those pain points are out there, and start paying attention to anywhere that you can help. As Mike put it, you know, weasel in somewhere that's maybe not something people. Oh, I are love that advice. Yeah, yeah yes. I, I I had the word niche in my mind. You know, yep. as you, as these opportunities come down, and you can find a new little niche uh, of that you can exploit. Bingo. Yep. Yep. Mm. And I like the idea. Also, you mentioned that hey, get outside of the zone of people that you normally sell to. Mm. You know, and mm-hmm. we talk, we've talked about this a couple times already. This idea—it's it's not just the IT people, it's not just the procurement people. Go talk to the, as you mentioned, like the head of the radiology department, somebody in, you know, in the cancer center or something. Find out what their individual issues and needs are, because you might just be much better informed when you get to come back later to yeah. those IT folks and say, "Hey, I know what you guys are thinking. Everyone needs, but I just talked to like fifty other people, and here's what they're telling me they need. Mm-hmm. So let's see how these two solutions can fit together to give you what, what you want to give them, what they want also. There you go. So there you go. There you go. <laughs> We've solved it all. There we go. Everybody's ready to become a healthcare bar now. Yeah, it's not that easy. No, it's not. <laughs> well, let's wrap up with our favorite segment of each week. Uh, what's tech connecting with you? Uh, this is where we go around and talk a little bit about some piece of technology, innovation, something in the world of science and tech that. Has has caught our attention uh, in mm-hmm. the last week or so. Mm-hmm. Michael, let's get, let you start off here. What's Technic with you right now? Uh, of late, I've been really interested in, in evaluating technology around patient experience software. So and basically what that is, is being able to digitally stream content to the patient bedside to help them have a, a more pleasant experience in the hospital. And that could be uh, entertainment, that can be religious content, that can be um, just educational information about the procedure they're about that to go under, getting them more comfortable with it. So um, this is a title that didn't exist uh, a few years ago, head of patient experience. Uh, so that's a, an area I think uh, that I'm really interested in, in in learning a lot more about it, but some, some really solid conversations with a couple of uh, software players in that market. Uh, so as I, as I go through, I, I think that that's a, 
an area of interest to me to see how that plays out for the overall, uh, you know, patient experience and, and how do we make it better. Yeah, really good point. I never yep. thought about that. The hospital didn't need a patient. Ex what's patient experience? <laughs> but that's what? just it. It no, always should have been We got this curtain, sit down in the bed. And <laughs> right. But that's just it. Again, yeah. you know, I, we had, but, we talked about hospitality a couple weeks ago with uh, Shannon from Volante. And she mm -hmm. mentioned this idea of like the hospitality ambassador of some yes, sort. This right. person whose yeah. job it was to help you understand like, yep. hey, here's all the things we offer. Here's the things you can do. Here's where you can go to do this and where you can go to do that. Why wouldn't you have something like that in, especially in a profession and in an industry where people were automatically walking in the door with their anxiety levels at a high level? At, 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 at max. Yeah. I don't yeah. care if you're just going in just for, you know, a, a simple cold or a cough right. or whatever, yeah. you know, it's a, always a bit of a stressful experience yeah. having to go to a doctor or to healthcare, but especially if you're in a hospital, if you got surgery, yep. whatever it is, why wouldn't you be looking for ways to make that as pleasant as it's going to get for somebody and making it a, a good experience for them. Yeah. So Mike, I mean, I guess, you know, through technology, the patient experience is going to, is going to be revolutionized here, I guess, over the next whatever decade or so, because think of the competition, right? We all go to hotels and stuff like that. They're the, the experience there is completely different mm -hmm. than what would traditionally be viewed as the hospital or healthcare experience, very antiseptic, very cinder block, very, you know, right. Uh, right. Whereas now the, the, to Mike's point, I guess the transition is over to a better overall experience, which, by the way, helps their scoring, which which helps them in their right, how much they get compensated, mm -hmm. right, uh, as well. So, Absolutely. yeah, premium being put on that whole customer experience. Yeah. There you go, patient right. experience. I'm sorry, right. patient, patient experience. experience, not customer <laughs> <laughs> in healthcare. Hopefully, we can stop thinking about people in healthcare as customers someday. <laughs> but I know that's just how the the industry works right now. But yes. You're a customer. Yes. Dean, uh, what's yeah, tech connecting yeah. with you right you now? You ever heard of a data trust? I have not. So data trust. So, you know, technology companies are really bad at poor stewards of our information, right? Our personal data. You hear about it all oh, the yeah. time, hacking, and yeah. now I've lost all my personal data. You've got whole regions like Europe trying to implement the GDPR and like locking down things. Well, this the idea of a data trust is an alternative to that where some governments are, you know are actually starting to explore these but the idea here is that a data trust is a legal entity that collects and manages people's personal data on their behalf Interesting. so so it's like a third party entity that that is managing your personal data and how it is utilized so now, it's like a password manager on steroids yeah way <laughs> on steroids i think because you know this gets into healthcare information right, right. it gets into so governments are considering using it and it's like a third party entity that it would be regulated and structured and all that so just like a trust is mm -hmm. like on a like a, a family's trust mm -hmm. or something like that, a farm or something along, along those lines. So it, it is a concept, though, that, that you would have, you would formulate these trusts and governments would utilize them as like this, again, third-party entity that's now managing that and it becomes in the workflow. And I don't know, there's something to the whole idea of data trust. Maybe that's a, a way of getting through it because here in America, I mean, right, we're not going to get there unless there's something like an idea like right, this right. where it's a data trust rather than the government or right. coming up with some kind of policy that everybody's got to trust. But how do you get people we'll to trust the trust? Well, yes, right? <laughs> you, you have that as well. Of course, right. there's in that that's in there. But we'll see. We'll see yeah. how it pans out. But now you've heard about data trust. So if you start hearing some chatter about right, this, right. it's one of those hot technologies that might start taking Although off. Although Dean was on top of this already. There you go. Yeah. I'm on it. I'm on it. What's you know, I, I still find it, though, funny sometimes 
sometimes like as much as we all are concerned about privacy in our data and yet there's mm-hmm. so many places we're willing to just share everything oh, yeah. without even or just hit accept thinking yeah, about boom. it yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> But then every now and then people get like, oh, no, what's this doing with my data? I'm like, really? You just like shared 30 pictures of yourself on Facebook five right. minutes ago and yeah. told everyone where you were in the entire country. You know, exactly. But whatever. Exactly. Uh, yeah. so, so for me, um, all right, so we've established over the last year we all wanted to stop touching everything. Like everything was just gross to touch. You've right? established okay, that. Fine. But anyway. I know. It's been a recurring <laughs> gag for me. Well, if I recall, there was a couple times during the pandemic people were talking about like elevators. And one, elevators obviously was a little scary because you get into a confined space yes. with somebody and breathing no. in each other's air. Air is all being right. shared, right? But, you know, you got to touch buttons on an you elevator. You got to touch and buttons. I never yeah. like touching buttons on an elevator. Again, okay. my little germaphobe thing. Yep, yep, yep. Well, there's a company, a Singapore company called Stuck Labs uh, that has come up with the Connect Touchless Elevator Button. And basically, <laughs> it's just giant number buttons. Not giant, but like, you know, probably, you know, like maybe a couple inches tall. Okay. Okay. So yeah, it's a yeah, yeah. clear, visible button that actually has a little bit of a sensory field that's coming uh-huh. out from it. So you can get your finger close to it without quite touching it, and it will light up, indicating that it knows that you're that's there the you go. that's the number you want. I think if you like press in a tiny bit more, hold for a little bit, it'll identify that as okay, this is the one you've selected, and then take you to that particular floor. I gotcha. It's very simple. This is one of those Why don't extremely we have this everywhere simplistic now? technologies yeah. that just makes a lot of sense. Yeah, proximity and there's no sensor. reason not to do this. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Okay, so, so that's in go. Singapore? Uh, well, it's the Singapore company that's come up with it. I don't know where they've actually... Oh, I'm, dang it. It'll take know, forever to get over it here. Probably. <laughs> like, it'd be one of those things other countries are doing forever, and then people come to America and be like, um, why do you still touch all these filthy buttons in your elevators? Yeah, well, you know... Yeah, well, maybe the old days when the <laughs> elevator operators were in there and they would press the button for you, you just said, hey, take me to whatever. You know. Yeah, but, you know. This is the modern version. Yeah, of that. exactly. Yeah, yeah. I like it. World. I like it. I want it. Yep. So that's what's tech connecting with us. Uh, Mike DeLibro from uh, Agilon, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate having you on the pod. Thanks, Mike. My pleasure, guys. Happy to be here. All right. As always, it is time for us to unplug. So until next time, folks, please stay connected. Trying to help your customers open or reopen safely with social distancing and infection control protocols? Elo offers touchscreen solutions to help with employee access, guest check-in, self-service, and much more. Their modular platforms increase safety, eliminate paper-based processes, and reduce the cost of visitor management. Elo also provides thorough cleaning and disinfecting guidelines. To learn more, visit Elo's microsite on bluestarinc.com or contact your Elo representative. Delivering high-quality patient care starts by connecting data from admissions to discharge and every step in between. Zebra's patient identity management solutions enable precision when matching patient records, medication, specimens, and more. So the right patient gets the right care every time. Built from a connected ecosystem of scanners, printers, and supplies to help ensure treatments and medications are accurately administered, Zebra's patient identity solutions give clinicians the performance edge they need to deliver safe and accurate care. To learn more, check out the link in the show notes or contact the Blue Star Zebra team.